Thanks for joining us here at AG Kolkata. We are the church for the open arms and we serve in the city of joy, Kolkata. It is our desire to reach out to those in need and to be instruments of effective change in a hurting world. If you like to learn more about us, you can simply go to www.agkolkata.org. We hope that you'll enjoy today's message. Just a few days before the most important event in the Jewish calendar, namely the Passover, during which the city of Jerusalem, which is normally filled with people, becomes overcrowded. The streets are filled with people. And these pilgrims have come from all over the world, so it's a certain amount of chaos. And in the midst of that chaos, Jesus and his disciples too are headed towards Jerusalem. This event is described in all four Gospels, but uh, we are going to read it together from the account in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19, verses 29 onwards to verse 44. As Jesus approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, as they had been instructed, The Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Verse 38, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, if you even you had only known on this day what would bring you peace. But now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. The Passover feast looks back to a, the time when God delivered the children of Israel from slavery in Egypt. It was uh, perhaps the highest point in the Jewish calendar when they remembered how God miraculously delivered, delivered them from Egyptian captivity. 
But each time the Passover came around each year, the Jews nursed the hope that God might do it again. Perhaps this year, God will intervene in our lives as a nation. And of course, at this point in time, they are under the oppression of the Roman Empire. They shaped under it. They hated it intensely. And as Passover came around, they nursed the hope. God, will you do it this time? Will you deliver your people again, just like you delivered them from captivity in Egypt? In ancient times, when a victorious general or king entered a city, he would arrive in pomp and ceremony, in a royal chariot, or perhaps riding a beautiful, prancing stallion. But here, as the crowd sees Jesus riding into Jerusalem, he's not in a chariot, he's not riding a horse, he's riding the colt of an ass, a donkey. And so there's the question that you saw on the video in another form, could this be the Messiah? The hope of Israel, the king of the Jews, coming into our capital city, riding the foal of an ass. Here's the thing, friends, as you and I all know. The journey that Jesus is making into Jerusalem is not so that he can lead an armed revolution against the Romans. He is on his way to something far, far bigger. He's on the road to Calvary. Calvary, a place of betrayal, suffering and death. Calvary, a place where sin's power will be destroyed, Satan crushed, death defeated, evil conquered. So I invite you this morning to follow Jesus into Jerusalem on that first Palm Sunday. What do we see as we follow Jesus on the way to Calvary? The first thing we observe is the activation of hope. Hope. The hope of Israel or the hopes of Israel were closely linked, as we all know, to the Old Testament prophetic predictions concerning the coming Messiah. And for those who knew their scripture, the manner of Jesus' coming made them lift their eyebrows and open their eyes wide. For Jesus' entry clearly fulfilled Old Testament predictions. In particular, Zechariah's prophecy in Zechariah chapter 9, reading verses 9 and 10, where the prophet had predicted, Rejoice, O people of Zion! Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem! Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. In verse 10, he goes on to say, Your king will bring peace to the nations. His realm will stretch from sea to sea. 
and from the Euphrates River to the ends of the earth. This was a very important prophecy concerning the coming Messiah. It hits all of the important points. It tells us the Messiah will be the epitome of righteousness. He will eliminate injustice. Not only that, he is powerful. He will be victorious. Most importantly, he will establish a kingdom. Not just in Israel, like David or King Solomon. No, no. For this kingdom will extend to the ends of the earth. Now you need to appreciate for the hearers the impact this prophecy would have had. And to give you some perspective, if you look at the map of the world, not just in Old Testament times, but if you look at a map of the world today, and you look at Israel, you know, it'll have to be a very large map that fills your forefinger with the map of Israel. It's just a line, insignificant. In today's language, if you can imagine suggesting that the king of the little king of Bhutan will one day rule the earth, or that the country of Maldives will one day spread all over the planet. Many of you are smiling. Pastor, that sounds ridiculous. Well, that's exactly how it sounded to the first hearers who were told that a king is coming to Israel who will rule a kingdom that will extend to the ends of the earth. So when Jesus entered Jerusalem seated on this donkey, for those who knew the scriptures, their hopes were raised high, for they remembered the prophecy of Zechariah. And they began to celebrate. Messiah has come. Salvation is here. The disciples are ecstatic, and the crowd is energized. They go wild with excitement. Spread out their cloaks, wave palm branches, and shouts of Hosanna ring out. For they are wel welcoming a king, the Messiah, who might one day rule the earth. So that's the first thing we observe on the road to Calvary. Hopes that are activated, even animated. But as we continue to follow Jesus on this, his ride to Jerusalem, And we listen to the crowds that shower praise. You realize when you look closely that they are drawn to him because he seems to capture their current aspirations. They like the way he spoke out against the corrupt leaders. They like the way he was unafraid when faced with the might of the political and religious establishment. He was fearless. He expressed in words what many of them were thinking. Not only that, he was a man of the people. He hobnobbed with sinners, prostitutes, ordinary people. 
they had also heard, many of them, that this man was a healer. He healed people. He could perform miracles. He had power over evil spirits and had delivered many of those who were demonized. Yes, this is a season when they are looking for a hero and Jesus is a suitable candidate. But here's the thing, friends. Yes, Jesus has this huge fan following. But the problem with a fan following is that they tend to see what they want to see in the hero of the day. You get what I'm saying? They were looking for a political revolutionary, someone who would overthrow the Romans and lead them to independence. That's how they saw him. Not as he really was. For Jesus' agenda, as we've seen, was much bigger. He had come as the savior of the world to save people, not just in Israel, people on the entire planet to save us from our sin. So they proclaimed him as king. They hailed him as Messiah. They praised him with excitement and enthusiasm. But this was not true worship. It was worship that was flawed, distorted. You're saying, how do you know that, pastor? Less than a week later, the same voices that cried Hosanna and Hallelujah will cry out, crucify him. Crucify him. Join the rest of the crowd as they turned against Jesus. Why? Even the disciples who were leading the praise procession today will deny him, abandon him, and disappear into the night like scared rabbits. The people who praised him will curse him. The people who showered adulation will spit upon him even be baying for his blood. Here's the lesson for you and for me, dear brothers and sisters, the warning. Beware. Do you know the difference between fan frenzy and true worship? There's a huge difference but here's the challenge. The difference is not very obvious. Fan frenzy and true worship look and sound like the same thing, don't they? Hands lifted, voices raised, sweet singing, great music. Why we can even have the spiritual language right. You remember what Jesus said, echoing the words of the prophet. It's possible to honor him with our lips when our hearts are far from him. He said that. He said, these people honor me with their lips. Their language is right. Their rituals are right. But their hearts are far from me. 
the term worship is derived, yes, from very physical expressions. The term worship is variously, the original refers to bowing, stooping, kneeling, even falling prostrate. But here's the thing, friends, those are actions, yes. But those actions connote what should be a state of the heart, and that's the essence of worship. It's the posture of the heart when we come to God through worship, comes to God and says, you're the creator, I'm the creature. You're, you are the savior, the holy savior. I am a saved sinner. You alone are worthy, Lord. And because you are worthy, I'm totally submitted. I'm yielded to your will. My knees is bowed to you. What that means is, I'm here to do your bidding. You see, friends, without that state of heart, it's not true worship. At best, it's beautiful music. Sometimes it's beautifully choreographed response. And at worst, it's noise. You know as well as I do, or rather those of you who know me know I believe in expressive worship. Yes, I believe we are, we are beings. God wants us to worship Him with all our heart, soul, mind and strength. We are, we are, we are total beings. It's important how we express ourselves physically. But friends, our physical expressions, the word we use, words we use, the language we use, is hollow, pseudo, Worthless if it's not accompanied by our hearts that are totally yielded to the will of the Master. As we continue to follow Jesus on the road to Calvary, we see the third observation is the unleashing of opposition. The Pharisees and religious leaders when they hear the sound of the singing and shouting and they realize that Jesus' followers are proclaiming him king, they appeal to him to try and stop it. Jesus' response is very simply, you know what, if they stop, the stones will cry out. Let me explain what that means. You see, Jesus is not an egotistical, self-centered person. He's not saying, you know what, I want them to worship me. That's not the point. What he's saying is, hey guys, this is all part of a plan bigger than you and I. God has orchestrated this. This is how it's meant to happen. And there's a lesson there demonstrating to us the power of God's will and purpose. What he's saying is, if God wants praise, worship, he's going to get it if he has to use trees, if he has to use animals, if he has to use stones. I hope that injects in us a realistic humility. Because sometimes when we follow Jesus, 
and especially when we begin to have any level of responsibility in the church, especially when we begin to feel, you know what, I'm important to God. Of course you are. If ever I begin to feel, because I'm the senior pastor here, or any of my colleagues feel, you know what, God, what is the service going to be like without me? Before the balloon gets very big, please let the Holy Spirit pierce it and burst it. What God is saying is, buddy, I'll use stones if I have to. There's no one this indispensable. We thank God for the, the wonderful servant hearts of people in this congregation. Okay, please. I want you to get this in the right spirit. Those who usher, who come early, the guys who come here, practice through the week, the worship, members of the worship band, so many who serve behind the scenes, our wonderful ladies. Uh, you know, but friends, let's never, 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 never ever give ourselves or, or fall into the trap of thinking. It's not going to carry on without me. You know, God... Aren't you lucky to have me? What would you do without me? Remember what God told Job? Where were you when I created the world? When I, when I laid the foundations of the earth? Where were you? Where were you? You know, God was, is, and will be. His purpose was, is, and will be. His church was, is, and will be. If people don't fall in line with God's purpose. God will find another way. If I don't fall in line with God's will and purpose for his kingdom on this planet, God is going to find somebody else. Opposition was not new to Jesus' life and ministry. From the beginning of his ministry, the opposition was unleashed. But it was relatively mild. Remember, at the very outset of his ministry, in Luke chapter 4, uh, when he read from Isaiah 61 and interpreted it uh, in a particular way, the crowd was so angry, they drove him out of town and tried to kill him by pushing him off a cliff. So you go on in the, in the narrative of Luke, you find... One occasion when he cast out uh, demons from a demon-possessed person. Clear sign of divine power. The Pharisee said, no, no, no. He's casting out demons by the prince of demons, Beelzebub. He healed someone on the Sabbath. They found fault with that. And uh, uh, charged him that he's breaking God's law by healing someone on the Sabbath. So he was not a stranger to opposition, but... By this time, the opposition has become really fierce. It's too popular. It's become too charismatic, upsetting the status quo too much. And so the Pharisees and religious leaders have come to the conclusion, he has to be stopped, even if we have to kill him. Guess what, friends? When Jesus comes to town, there will be be opposition. Expect opposition. When he comes into your life, come on, expect opposition. There have always been and always will be those who oppose the work of God. And if, you, if you're one of those with 
you know, weak knees and a failing heart and you can't take opposition. Do one of two things. Pray until God fills you with courage. Or if you're on leadership, step aside. Let somebody else lead the way. Jesus, on the road to Calvary, keeps going with unflinching resolve. There's a version that says, he set his face like a flint. Luke 9.51. He was on the road to Calvary, and he has to stay on that road so that he could die for the very people who were opposing him, ridiculing him, rejecting his love. I must move on. On the road to Calvary, we see hope activated. We see worship distorted, subverted. We see opposition unleashed. And fourthly, as we see Jesus drawing near to the city of Jerusalem, he is able to see the future calamity in store for the city begins to see it with prophetic insight. And as he sees it, he begins to weep with the burden that the Holy Spirit lays upon him. He begins to feel the pain of God's coming judgment upon his people. Yes, I know that sounds like a contradiction. God is sending judgment upon his chosen but rebellious people. Don't know if you got that. Yes, God's chosen people can be rebellious. God's chosen people can be living in disobedience. I'm not going to raise, ask you to raise your hand, friends, but you know it's possible for you and I as children of God, living within the grace of God, to also be living in willful rebellion and disobedience. And a loving God, a God who wants to draw us back to himself, sends Judgment, yes, sense pain. This is something that the children of Israel struggled with all through their history. They didn't, they didn't understand it. They, 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 they somehow reassured themselves, because we are God's chosen people, nothing bad is going to come to us. How many Christ followers live in the, under that illusion? I'm a child of God. Nothing bad is going to happen to me. I'm a child of God, and if something goes wrong, Lord, where are you? What are you up to, God? And God smiles and says, I'm in control. Because you're chosen, because I love you, therefore will I chasten you. Hebrew, the writer of Hebrews says, whom the Lord loves, he chastens. So he begins to weep as he feels the pain of God's coming judgment. And this marks the beginning of his passion. 
that will intensify through the coming week. His passion is stirred. You see, friends, Jesus did not come to Jerusalem to hear the hosannas and hallelujahs of the crowd. He came to Jerusalem for Good Friday. And the road he walked did not end in the city. Rather, it continued out through the city gates on the other side to Calvary, to a hill called Golgotha, the place of the skull. The road to Jerusalem, my dear brothers and sisters, was the road to Calvary. But Palm Sunday marks the beginning of the stirring of this passion. As he begins to feel the burden of the cross. The initial phases of the infinite pain and suffering he will endure for the sins of the world. For it will be on Calvary that he will face the full blast of God's Holy wrath against sin. Yes. Yes. The cross is a manifestation of God's amazing love and grace. Yes. We have heard that and we will hear it again this coming Good Friday. But friends, the other aspect of the cross is that it marks God's intense hatred of sin, evil, all of the impurity and corruption on the planet that was a result of the fall. Jesus took it on the cross. It's Paul who says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him to be sin, the sin offering for us who knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God in Jesus. And so the pain of his passion will grow as the week progresses. We see it climax in the Garden of Gethsemane. A few days after this, shortly before he was arrested, and it's described in Luke 22, verses 41 to 44. It says, Jesus walked away from the rest of the disciples in the garden, about a stone's throw away. As he knelt down and prayed. Will you read those words with me? Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Just, just a moment, friends. One of the only occasions in scripture where Jesus needs help. The agony is so intense that God sends an angel from heaven to strengthen him. And verse 44 says, he prayed more fervently and he was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground, great drops of blood. We'll hear more about that perhaps on Good Friday. 
There's those who study that, people from medical science tell us it's something that happens when the stress is of an of a order that no human being can easily sustain. Sweat, you begin your, the, the, the capillaries on the surface of your skin burst open and you begin to sweat drops of blood. Friends, as we begin this week, called Passion Week. Let's try to follow Jesus on the road to Calvary. Let our hope be activated. For we know Calvary is not the end. There is a resurrection on Easter Sunday and the second coming. Yes, so our hope, let, them, let, the, let our hopes be activated, alive. The world desperately needs hope, doesn't it? But then let's beware of all hypocritical counterfeit worship and ask God during this week to purify our worship. Make me pure in the worship that I bring to you, Lord. Ask God to help us as we face whatever opposition you and I are encountering in our journey. And then he invites us to walk with him in sharing his passion. As I conclude, let me ask you a simple question, friends. Tell me, who, who is your hero in this story besides Jesus? I'll tell you who is my hero in this story. The donkey. Yes. Donkeys are very malign creatures. But when you look into what donkeys are like, you'll be amazed. Donkeys are strong, hardworking, hardy creatures known for their endurance, their ability to survive hard conditions. It is said that in the wild, the leader of a pack of donkeys will stay to ward off an attack from a wolf or predator and even give his life if needed in order to allow the others to escape. Isn't that wonderful? The donkey responded to the master's need of him. He had a simple job to carry the master to lift Jesus a little ways off the ground so that the crowds could see him on his journey. And here's the thing about the donkey that I love. He stayed with Jesus all the way on the road to Calvary. What about you? I ask myself, what about me? I submit to you, my purpose in life and your purpose in life is not much more than what the donkey was called to, is it? What does God call us to do? Through our words, through our lives, to lift Jesus, to carry Jesus, so that the world will see him 
through our lives. The donkey stayed with Jesus all the way. What about you, my brother, my sister? Will you stay with him, wait a moment, all the way? On the road to Calvary? Yes. I came across this quote a short while ago, which I think somewhat tongue-in-cheek highlights the way most people who say yes to Jesus, most Jesus worshipers hold secretly in their hearts. When we go through the externals of Christ's followership, and I just read it for you, friends, and let the Holy Spirit speak to you. It's not, it may sound, it may sound like a backhand uh, sort of, you know, rebuke. It's not meant to be that way. But, you know the old saying, if the cap fits you, wear it. That's all I can say. I would like to buy about 25 rupees worth of gospel, please. Not too much. Just enough to make me happy, but not so much that I become obsessed with Jesus. I want nice feelings all the time. Don't talk about re repentance. I want blessings transferred to me. I don't want this talk of transformation. I like the way I am. I don't want so much gospel that I learn to really hate greed, jealousy, lust, and some other sins that I don't wish to let go. I would like enough gospel to make my family comfortable and to make sure my children have a bright future. You know, God's blessing. But not so much that it interferes with my life or makes me devote my time, my talent, or wealth. I want to experience the power of his resurrection but I can do without the fellowship of his suffering. Get this, friends. This is the point of my message. This last sentence. I don't mind following Jesus up to the cross. I'll go with him right up to the cross. But don't expect me to get on it and be crucified. I would like to buy about 25 rupees worth of gospel, please. You know, God asks us for very little, actually. He says, you know what, I only need a donkey. One donkey, please notice, to turn a city upside down. Just one donkey who's willing to carry Jesus turned the city of Jerusalem upside down. Am I willing to be that donkey for Jesus?
Thanks for listening to this message from AG Kolkata. We hope you would stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram by using at AGC Kolkata. We would love to know how this message has touched your life. Please take a moment to share your story by emailing us at stories at agkolkata.org. Hope you have a great week ahead.